Boston.com, the Boston Podcast Network. It's the Josh JP Philosophy. The show is supported by Red Dome Realty and the Legacy Financial Group. So here they are, Josh Cohen and JP Plunkett. Welcome back to the show, everyone. David Yaz here with the Boston Podcast Network, here to introduce our, your podcast stars, Josh and JP. Today on the show, Josh and JP are joined by Ross O'Hanley, over 20 years in the gaming industry, currently a senior vice president at Eilers and Krejcik. Gentlemen, take it away. Thanks, Dave. And uh, on behalf of uh, my podcast partner, Josh Cohen, Ross, want to thank you, uh, a dear old pal, for taking a few minutes today. It's been a um, hectic time i think in all of uh, our industries throughout the economy but just to dive right into it gaming casinos etc seem to be on their ears because of covid and perhaps some other factors um you know what's the current sort of thought on where things are heading well thanks for having me on jp uh it's been it's been challenging to say the least um everything ever since everything really hit in march um, it's been a gradual shutdown um, that lasted for about two months, uh, going back into you know the reopening. And to give you some context, you know even when we looked at 9/11, where the airplanes stopped flying, um, in very different you know uh, situation with 9/11. But the casinos, you know, were still open. And if you'd asked me, uh, being in this business for as long as I have, could anything ever close down the casinos? I, I never thought there'd be a situation where you could effectively shut down um, the entire gaming industry, but that's exactly what happened. What does the future hold? I mean, who knows if there's going to be a second wave? And obviously, there's something coming along. What is the um, business model moving forward? How is the gaming industry transitioning to try to be profitable in some way? No, it's a good question. I mean, the good news is the reopening has happened. Um, it really started. Um, for, for a select few, uh, kind of in April, early May, and then everybody since then. And, uh, you know, customers have been coming back. That's been the great news. Um, there have been um, some of, of the operators earlier than others as the pandemic has spread. I mean, the thing really hit, as we all know, first in Washington State. So those were some of the uh, first casinos to close down, but also some of the first to reopen. So um, the regional casinos in particular have been doing well. Um, they've got a lot of loyalty to the, the, the customers have a lot of loyalty to casinos in their backyard. The ones that have been struggling more are the destination casinos like Las Vegas, where it really requires someone to uh, get on a plane and book a hotel and do everything else associated with uh, making a destination trip. But gaming is very, very resilient. Um, it's been through so many different iterations. It's been through crises. Um, nothing, again, not like this in particular, but... I fully expect, um, you know, sometime in the near future, hopefully within the next 12 months, gaming will get back to what everybody knows. But I think it has, to your question, opened everybody's eyes about what some alternatives may be in the interim in terms of, of gaming, as well as going forward, how this might reshape the industry. So I know that in the uh, commercial real estate industry, there could be sort of a, a flight to quality as temporarily some rents come down. Tenants that historically maybe in a C building might be able to afford a B. Tenants that were in a B building may be able to, for the first time ever, afford an A building. Could the casino industry be such that, you know, some of the tertiary casinos in a primary market struggle because now the the better ones, for lack of a better word, uh, 
just a better they're, they're more well financed they're more organized and they're going to gobble up sort of that piece of the pie temporarily like will some of them just go away and be repositioned for other uses maybe or will they all ultimately stay as casinos well i think it's an astute point jp i mean hopefully they all stay um but depending on the length of the pandemic it's going to be impactful on some of the, the smaller locations especially in markets where there's great saturation so I think if if you know people start to vote and and vote with fewer trips or vote with I'm not going to drive as far or whatever you know makes them comfortable, um, some of the larger casinos you know do have more power in terms of marketing and being able to you know be aggressive uh, in the short term to kind of win that share, uh, whereas some of the smaller ones might not have as many levers to pull. But um, you know it's going to be very challenging for everybody in terms of, of how they get back to normal levels of business is going to take time and it's going to take the public really to feel comfortable walking in those doors knowing the experience is, is probably at least for the short term never going to be the same as what they're used to and, and just preparing themselves for that and for, for the casinos i had a great conversation with a friend of mine uh who's a general manager in, in california i think it's really leading with safety first and letting customers know that um, the casinos are doing everything they possibly can to make the experience safe and really kind of putting that in the, in the, the front of mindset with customers when they walk in. Curious about online gaming, because my thought would be that's, you know, going to be positively impacted because people want to gamble. Right. Right. And my, my thought would be that might be an area or an opportunity that would be more profitable during these times. What are your thoughts about the online gaming industry, where that's heading as, as this pandemic kind of continues on? No, uh, Josh, it's a great point. I mean, online gaming has already been making some great traction, in particular um, New Jersey, uh, Pennsylvania, and, and, and some other areas of the states that were the early adopters. And a lot of the other states, seeing what they've been able to accomplish, have started to follow that model way before the pandemic uh, started. Uh, with the pandemic, though, you're seeing a lot of states who rely on gambling tax revenue to support all their infrastructure saying, well, wait a minute, if, if occupancy is down 10, 20, 30 percent, um, how are we going to make up for those dollars? And one logical way to look at it, and uh, uh, with Iowa's Krychek, you know, one of the things that's a specialty with, with the company is looking at that interactive gaming model and, and, and advising clients and states on, on how they can work. My last question, um, uh, Josh, you can kick one in uh, after, of course, and then we'll say our uh, goodbyes. It's been a great, great piece here on gaming. Ross, the sports book, um, slots, quote unquote, the tables, which of the different food groups within gaming have been maybe wounded uh, the most and, and how do they sort of differ as it relates to rebounding? Um, because you go into a casino and there's all sorts of different, you know, nooks and crannies to head to to have have your fun. And, um, you know, how does it all compare to one another if, if that's not too broad of a way to look at it? No, JP, I think it's a it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, the thing with table games is it's more of a communal experience um, for anyone who's right. ever been at a blackjack table or a craps table or a roulette table you're usually there with a, with a group of friends that are really enjoying kind of this group experience. And with what's going on with the social distancing, that becomes more challenging. There are ways to do it. There are privacy screens, these security screens and health screens that a lot of the operators have put up. Um, but it, it dramatically changes the experience in terms of how you play. 
uh, with the slot machines, I would argue, at least right now, it's a little bit easier to shut down a certain percentage of machines to allow for that social distancing. So people are still going to have an experience as a slot player that's, that's more comfortable and more normal to what they've experienced as opposed to a table games player having to deal with a shield between them and the dealer or a shield between them and the person on the left or the right. Uh, for sports betting, um, I, I think the opportunity there is, is you guys you know, uh, asked about interactive gaming or remote gaming before. I think that's where a lot of states will start looking at why do you need to go into casino specifically to place the bet if you can do it on your phone. And we're all used to doing so many things on our phone. Um, that's an area that's gained traction and, and certainly will continue to do so for, for those states. But some players, and I'm, I'm certainly one of them, still love the sports book experience. Um, when you're there for March Madness or an NFL game on Sunday, it's an exciting experience that your phone can't replicate. So I think there always still will be a call for that. As you think about the casinos themselves, not the casinos, but the hotels that are such a part of those casinos, what does that look like? I mean, their occupancy must be so far down. They're depending on the revenue from their, their folks. As you have a, have a pulse on what's going on in Las Vegas, I mean, what is that future of, of you know, the big casinos look like? One thing that's really impacted Las Vegas is Las Vegas has become such a vibrant um, destination for conventions. And the conventions have been right. become part and parcel with gaming, really starting with another Massachusetts re uh, uh, former resident, Sheldon Adelson, uh, really perfected that model with the Venetian and Las Vegas Sands. And it's become, after he went in that direction and others, such a core part of the business in, in Las Vegas to the point where, you know, for most casinos, it's 50-50 revenue in terms of gaming and non-gaming revenue. And the non-gaming revenue includes things like the hotel, as you mentioned. It includes um, the restaurants. It includes the nightclubs right. that people go to. Removing the that, shopping, which becomes so important, really has put a damper on a lot of the larger casinos because that, that's a core portion of their business. So um, for those that don't rely as much on those amenities, uh, it's been a little less impactful. But for the ones that have hotels, again, it's, it's getting back to the health and security, letting the guests know who wants to stay there and, 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 and gamble that they're going to have a safe experience. Russ O'Hanley, uh, you know, gaming executive, 20 plus years. We're, we're pumped to have had you today and we appreciate it. I guess to close it out, um, Ross, is a, as many of us are, is a huge sports fan, grew up in the Boston area and is um, an unbridled Red Sox fan still, which is fantastic. His father, by the way, was... Ross Sr., one of the very original Boston Patriots, Boston College Hall of Fame. Uh, Ross was a great athlete in his own right. But, Ross, as, as a Vegas guy with the Raiders coming in and, and with all the exciting things that are happening with Vegas sports, of course, the Vegas Knights, do you see MLB maybe coming? And you know what, what's the buzz out there with pro sports in Vegas? It's really a, a whole new exciting thing. The Vegas uh, sports scene has, has been incredible. Um, and if you had asked me, I've been in Las Vegas now 17 years, if you had asked me, Five years ago, before the Knights came in, could Vegas support uh, a hockey team? I probably would have said it's going to be challenging because a lot of people who live here or at least you know grew up here, uh, there wasn't a lot of hockey following, um, except for maybe in, in some of the best years with Gretzky being in L.A. But it has been unbelievable, the support of the community around the Knights. And to their credit, um, the players have been just so fantastic in the community. Um, one of them uh, is a personal experience. Uh, Alex Tuck, who's a, a Boston College guy, um, was out um, in Summerlin, where I live in a suburb of Las Vegas, and he actually came to a Little League game that my son was playing in and not only stayed for the whole game, which was unbelievable for a guy 
who lives in his twenties in Las Vegas, who could be, you know, doing a lot, a lot different things. He had bigger fish to fry that day. <laughs> yeah, he, he did fry him after the game. Uh, this is uh, this is you know one of the things that you see and you're so impressed by. He stayed after the game and signed autographs for almost an hour with every single kid who was there. And and I, I actually said to him because he he spent some time talking to my son and you know we talked about BC because we had that connection. I said, you know what's made it a little different from you and, and, and the other guys in your team in terms of wanting to be part of this community. He said, well, look, you know, uh, football and, and basketball are always at, at the forefront and sometimes hockey doesn't get the attention that, 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 it, that it should. Uh, we're so appreciative to be in the national hockey league and have the opportunity to play a professional sport. I think some of the guys who, who you know, uh, grew up doing this, you know, maybe in some ways now that it's, it's become part of the community, are just so appreciative that, um, they've had such a warm reception from the people of Las Vegas. But with the Raiders, I will tell you, um, you talk about uh, kind of unbridled excitement. There's so many football fans in Las Vegas, and it's so much a part of our community. Um, some of the uh, you know, great high school football teams in the country, uh, Bishop Gorman in particular, uh, are in Las Vegas. And, you know, there's always been a connection with uh, Las Vegas, obviously, with the Raiders being proximate in, in California. So, uh, there is a lot of interest and a lot of hype and a lot of excitement for them arriving in town. And the stadium is going to be absolutely unbelievable. I've driven by it um, a host of times. I'm still looking forward to getting in there and seeing it. Well, it's, but it's, I'll always support, always support the Patriots first. I uh, don't think I'm going to you know, change my tone. The Bruins are still my team. The Patriots will always be my team. Uh, if MLB ever comes, the Red Sox will be. I think that the Rays or the White Sox should move there. But we, uh, we're up against the clock. Tremendous thanks to Ross O'Hanley for some very thanks, keen. Great meeting you. Great keen oh, insights my, my on gaming and, and, and good luck as Vegas grinds through things. It'll be better than ever. We all know that. And uh, as Americans, we root for that. And it'll, it'll come together. And it's coming together. So thank you. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks. 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 Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us, Ross. And thank you for listening to the Josh JP Philosophy. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcast. Leave a review. Leave us five stars if you like the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to reach our hosts, look at the show notes for any episode for ways to get in touch with Josh and JP. Thanks for listening. Even if there were 40 more, I wouldn't sleep a minute away. It's the Josh JP Philosophy. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and please share it with a friend or a colleague in your network who would be interested. The show is supported by Red Dome Realty and Legacy Financial Group. For more information on these organizations and how to get in touch with your host, check the show notes of this podcast. Thanks for listening.